First reading comes from Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Will of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, ye of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble, trouble of its own. Amen. The second reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt 
and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. How good are you at waiting? Um, having grown up in London, I am incapable of waiting. Um, uh, if you grow up in London, wherever you are, you have to try and work out if there is a quicker way that you can get to the next place. And it might be that that involves three buses and underground and possibly the Docklands Railway and some... But you have to try and work out the quickest way and you can't ever be seen to be waiting because there's always an opportunity for another means of getting to wherever it is that you want to get to. It was quite a culture shock, therefore, for me when I moved to Cambridge uh, to do my training for the ministry where there is one bus and you wait for it and it takes an hour and that's it and if you don't get the bus then you're waiting even longer and it was an absolute nightmare as a concept for me and I, I really really struggled some people view waiting with suspicion the protestant work ethic doesn't really get the concept of waiting if you're not busy, then there's something dodgy about you, is the general theory that that's what's going on. And yet, the trouble is, the church calendar actually imposes times of waiting upon us. The period of Advent, the period of Lent, that, that 
dark period between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And the period that we've just gone through, that period between Ascension and Pentecost, where again we are deliberately asked to wait, to take that step back, to allow God to work in us, and not necessarily for us to work and achieve a great deal ourselves. Now there's always the worry with waiting, that if you wait so long that you actually forget how to act. The apprehension of a foot, in football of a player returning to the game after a long injury, or because, like Eric Kenton, they've gone around kicking members of the, of the crowd. Will they therefore know what to do the next time they're actually out on the pitch? And yet, occasionally we are called to wait, to restore, to revive ourselves, to almost make ourselves useless so that we can find the essential purpose of who we really are. And the disciples are asked effectively after the ascension to wait. They're confused, they're frightened, and this time they're feeling abandoned. Not much different from how they, their normal state of being was, it seems to me. Jesus' ascension has still not revealed to them the full picture of what they're supposed to be doing. They've been amazed at what they've seen, but they've just retreated yet again. They've gone back to what they feel safe with, that hidden, locked room where nobody can touch them. They're still recognising the inherent danger of the situation that they are in, that they are in a hostile city that has killed their greatest hope and their greatest friend. It is a hostile environment and they still don't know what to do. They're lacking the wisdom and the necessary courage. They are on the run. They are in danger. This is an imposed waiting upon them. But at the end of this waiting period, now is the time for action. After the time of confusion, now is the time for risk. After the cowardice, now is the time for putting their lives on the line. So what is it that they remember in this waiting period? Is it Jesus saying to them, for those of you who wish to follow me, you must take up your cross? Is it Jesus' death itself that they suddenly remember? Because, let's face it, they go from being locked in this room, a bunch of chickens, and every single one of them would leave that room and they would never be the same again. They would all go from that place and every single one of them would die prematurely and violently. What was it that shifted them from cowards to people of courage and resilience. Now, there are those within the church who will say that Pentecost is the birth of the church. It isn't. The birth of the church happens when Christ is confessed. So the birth of the church actually happens at Caesarea Philippi when Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
Because that is the very foundation, that is the basis of why the church exists. Not for the Holy Spirit, but to confess Jesus Christ. So those who will try and claim that this is the birth of the church need to rethink their theology quite significantly and probably need to go and reread their Bible. But it is significant because at this precise moment, the disciples finally work out that they've got the strength and they've got the resources to actually go out there and proclaim who Christ is. So they're in this hostile city just 50 days after Easter. These tongues of flame, whatever that means, descend and they're all able to speak in various languages. They're actually gifted with that. And so they go out to this hostile crowd, this crowd that has been hunting them down. And they are fearless in so doing. Now, there are three things, obviously, that I would like to pick out for you today uh, from the Pentecost story that I think are models of how to live out being church that were evident on that first day of Pentecost and are important for us today. The first is that they were local and yet universal at the same time. That whatever they were speaking, it was deemed as relevant for the people who were there. Jerusalem was a global city. And um, the, all the Pamphylias and Phrygias and uh, Cretans, etc., etc., that we had today. Um, a few years back, um, some archaeologists uh, discovered a zodiac map from around the second century where each of those points were, were listed in that zodiac map, the idea being that this was the known world. That every single part of the known world on that day was being offered the news of Jesus Christ. Not just for me, but for everyone. Or as John Wesley might say, the world is my parish. Secondly, that the behaviour of the church at that precise moment was surprising, it was unusual. And I think occasionally we could do with being a bit more surprising and a bit more unusual, rather than constantly being predictable in the way that we expect other people to engage with the Christian faith. We expect them to come onto our territory, onto our terms, rather than us going out to them and demonstrating God's love in our daily lives and in our community. I have to say, um, the, this passage in Acts chapter 2 ha has my favourite um, part of the whole Bible in it. That part where Peter says, they're not drunk, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. If you've ever been to the Whitechapel Mission in London, you'll realise that that's quite late in the day, actually, uh, uh, to be drunk. Um, but as a result, they were there as unrefined, ill-disciplined characters. And yet through them, people started to understand what the faith of Jesus was. And thirdly, that they were courageous. They were prepared to face persecution. 
The people they were confronting were those who were complicit in the murder of their teacher and their friend. And Peter's condemnation of them is utterly explicit. That was no way to make yourself popular, to go around telling people that they are murderers. And yet he felt it important to stand up and confront those people, to actually offer to them that which was true. How often have we not spoken out the truth because we have been frightened of offending? How often have we not spoken the truth because we have been frightened of what the consequences might be coming back onto us? A church for all, a surprising church, and a courageous church. Those are three of the marks I read on that first day of Pentecost. The arrival of the Spirit allows the fledgling church to come of age. And so for us, I think we need to think, how do we live out that that legacy today? Our church throughout its history, let's be honest, has too often failed to live up to the early promise of the church. Too often we have been complicit in genocides, in inquisitions, in terrorism, in wars carried out in our name. What resemblance to the founders of the church is that? But also that our church today, it's not just our past, but too often our church today is inward looking, it's frightened of upsetting people, it's worried about that which it feels safe about and nothing else. You only have to read the Methodist recorder to worry about declining numbers and that's all that we ever seem to think about. Where is the prophecy? Where is the truth? The church broke out of its locked room on the day of Pentecost. It showed its willingness to be courageous and to be relevant to those around. But most importantly, it showed that it was important to go and share the story of the life, death, resurrection and love of Jesus in the community. And so today... May we have a new Pentecost upon our church, one that makes us not to be ever more inward looking, but one which forces us out to our community, our nation and our church beyond, so that what we truly offer to the world is Christ, and that in offering that we are urged on by the Spirit. So this Pentecost tide, may God give us the courage we need to proclaim his good news. Amen.